Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also want to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoy the sermon today. God bless. Really excited to spend uh, some time with you this morning as we think about Advent and welcoming Jesus into our lives, into this world. We had a few different ways that we were celebrating Advent over this last month. We didn't want it to be event-based, but we wanted to develop a rhythm in how we spend every day awaiting our coming King. And so on, on one of the slides, we talked about uh, on Sundays doing lighting candles, thinking about love, joy, peace, uh, and hope, and allowing that to model how we move into all the other days of that Advent in our home. We gave everyone candles, and we're hoping that the way we practice breath prayer on Sundays would be how you sat in front of the Word every day, soaking in it, allowing it to fill your heart with expectation. And then I've been really enjoying visiting friends of our church and seeing on their mantle the, the Advent blocks that we give to all of the families and, and having them turn one at a time as we read devotionals about Jesus through creation into his coming. And so those were really beautiful ways that we got to participate in Advent. And then I also think about last week where about 50 of us volunteered at OC United, United's Christmas party, and a lot of it was our families going. So I love seeing the youth do cotton candy. They did a lot better than me. The first 10 cotton candies I made, it was like abstract cotton candy. I would name them, right? Because it, it just formed different shapes. But the kids did great. My son had the craziest sugar high. Um, but we got to celebrate Christmas in a really visionary way with the whole community, regardless of where people were coming from, uh, different ethnicities. We were all celebrating Jesus and awaiting Santa coming down from a helicopter with Batman and Spider-Man. So that was really fun. And I hope that over the season, you got to wait and anticipate the coming of Christ with us. Today, we have a special Sunday. Right after service, we'll have tamales, hot chocolate, um, and, and Brandon baked uh, his bakery goods will be here as well. And then also we're handing out some books that myself, Nina, Priscilla, and Elaine wrote. Zach illustrated and Mitchell was doing the operations. It was a passion project for a few years to help uh, fund our, our foster camp. But we wanted to give it away to you today if it's your first time or you've come for a while and you haven't grabbed one. And we'll be using those illustrations as well throughout the sermon today as we think about Jesus' coming in, in relationship to the larger narrative. And so with that, let me pray for offering, and then we'll do our question of the day. Father, thank you so much for how you've given uh, the great gift of your son into our life, that you are the first 
want to give to us all the way through our life, our first breath, um, all of our needs, our ability to work, the society we've grown up in with its opportunities. And as, as we think about your generosity this, this season, especially giving of yourself, I pray that we would respond in generous, generosity as well, giving you every day of our life, giving you our talents and our energy, uh, giving you our finances. Thank you for all the people who have um, been generous to this church in all of those different ways that make us uh, come alive and be a space where people can meet you and be family with each other. We love you. We're grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, every Sunday we break off into groups of three or four, so make sure you look around the room and hopefully include someone that you haven't met before. We're going through these two questions. They're pretty big questions because we're going to have like a meta sermon today, going from creation to Jesus' second coming all in 30 minutes, answering some core questions um, that all of us ask, regardless of what religion we're in or whether we're atheists, we ask What's wrong with the world? Why is it broken? And how, how can it be better? Um, where did we come from and where are we going? These are some big questions that I hope to give us some context to this morning. Um, there's some big things, but for me last week, uh, my kids were just dying. We had the stomach bug. Anyone, you guys get the stomach bug? My wife is still ba- blaming it on the chow mein, but I'm telling her that lots of people got Sick from the stomach. So poor Lila. I mean, have you, have you ever saw Family Guy and seen those vomiting like episodes where everyone's rainbow vomiting? That's basically our family uh, this last week. So Lila was out. Oh, my, my clicker's also out. Oh, there we go. Liam, Levi, who's mad at me for taking a photo. So he went down first, vomited throughout a night, maybe like eight or nine times. And then Lila went down, and then Liam went down, and then my wife went down. So we had four people just dying in my family. I was fine, so (laughs) in case you were worried. But if I were God, I wouldn't wouldn't have diseases in the world, you know? We, We wouldn't have to shut down the world over COVID. I wouldn't have to watch Levi vomit in the middle of the night. He vomited straight up and it fell back on his face and then he sat up and I was like, this is a horror movie. And I woke up Nina. And so um, I helped, I helped. I'm just kidding. I also helped. But um, there's these like terrible viruses going around and, and this is like one of the smallest things, right? When we think about all the havoc that has come out over this last year or two years, uh, this is really not that big a deal. We're, we're healthy again. But then I think about um, immigration at the border, people risking their lives to come to the U.S., and then um, our inability to keep the border safe and treat people humanely and welcome people through a a judicial process. We're not able to do that. It's, It's very complicated. And then we think about the huge wars going on in the Middle East, and then we think about Ukraine and Russia. And, and having all that power, if God is good and is, if God is powerful, why doesn't he just stop all of those different things? Why are we living in a world that is so broken, where there's wars and famine and disease, and this all-powerful God seemingly just watches this happen, the suffering and pain happen, and he doesn't use his power to resolve it. This was one of 
uh, a very typical argument from me who sat under philosophy professors at UCI. What I did appreciate about our conversations was that God wasn't taboo. In philosophy, nothing's taboo, right? You're, you're coming out with rational arguments for existence or non-existence of God. But it's strange, even as a believer, to think about all the brokenness in the world, to think about if you were God being able to stop things from happening, the evil things in this life, and then worshiping a God that we believe as perfect and all powerful, and yet uh, this broken world exists. And Levi has to vomit on his own face just a few nights ago. So in order to answer this question, I think about how many of the biggest questions that we ask about our religion, about God, is really not answered from a point in time, but with this large story arc of, of, of creation into Israel and the fall into recreation. That it's in the context of a larger story that most of the answers we have reside. So why did God create a broken world from one of our first questions? And my argument would be that he didn't create a broken world. That when you look at Genesis 1 and 2, he created a world that was perfect like he is. Everything was in harmony. We had unity with God. Think about how God describes Adam and Eve walking with him in the coolness of the day. It was this nearness and, and intimacy with the Lord where we could see him face to face. We had peace with one another. Adam and Eve were naked and felt no shame. They didn't have to hide from each other. They weren't afraid of one another. They could be fully vulnerable and, and know that they, it would be met by love. We had harmony with creation, that the world was easy to tend to. We didn't have to work to survive. And we had harmony with ourselves. We didn't have desires that were disoriented or, or twisted. We didn't have desires that pulled against one another, fracturing our own hearts. Again, I have some photos to keep our youth's attention. So Zach drew them, and we'll be giving out these books, but illustrating our unity with nature and God. Um, let's see. This is speaking about our invincible bodies that didn't break down. We, weren't, we didn't fear death, so we rode tornadoes. We slept in the snow, and no one got a stuffy nose. We loved bear hugs. We were invincible. And then this is speaking about our ability to love one another, the unity that we experienced in creation. There was no such thing as strangers. No one felt left out. You, you saw beauty in every skin color, and differences were celebrated. The world was at peace. Everyone valued and loved each other. Everything was safe, peaceful, and loving because I am safe, peace, and love. So what happened when we think about all the, apocalyptic, all the apocalyptic films or dystopias? There was an event that broke um, the world. And that event in our framework is the fall. God creates this, this tree called the knowledge of good and evil. And he commands Adam and Eve not to eat out of it. Why did he create this tree? Why, why make a perfect world and create something that has the do not touch sign, right? Which is the worst signage for any child or the, an, an adult. Well, it's because this tree allowed them to have free will. By them not eating out of the tree, by them obeying God, they were perpetually choosing to love him and to be with him. 
they were able to exercise their free will by what they didn't do. And then the serpent tempts them. He says, don't you know that when you eat of it, you will be like God? This is the most fundamental temptation in all of creation. In fact, Lucifer, who was an archangel, fell and became Satan because he wanted to be like God. He wanted to ascend into God, Godhood. And with that same temptation, he tempts Adam and Eve. Some theologians think that the fruit of good and evil is, is being like God in that you get to define what good and evil is. You get to define your own purpose, your own ethics and morality. You get to define all facets of who you are, your sexual ethics, your gender, uh, what is right and wrong. And, and this is the water we swim in. We swim in a society that has taken it upon each specific person in a postmodern world to define truth and to define our own ethics. And because of sin, because of us rebelling against God and wanting to be God, wanting to define truth for ourselves, we had separation from God. And out of that, there's a cascading effect. From there, separation from others, separation from creation, and separating from our own self. So again, I, I love some, these are some of my favorite photos from our books. Um, so sad, walking away from the Lord and then experiencing fall in um, running from tor tornadoes, getting stuffy noses in the cold, no more bear hugs, very sad. And then um, as we think about walking away from the Lord in how we create and, and work, we make idols. Again, one of my favorite photos, her making a, an idol of herself. Zach is amazing. And then thirdly, we think about how our separation from God cause, causes us to separate from one another. And this is a very tame representation of brutal war, of, of slander, of the way that we abuse and mistreat each other, all from the fall. But that still begs the question why an all-powerful God um, can't just destroy evil. Why can't he just snap his finger and make all of these things go away the way that we envision ourselves being able to do? Uh, I got to talk to one of the youth, and he said, I would, if I were God, I would take away all guns so that there'd be no more violence. <clears throat> this is a argument that I developed in seminary, and it's open to critique. So I believe that, we, that power is not as useful as it may seem when it comes to restraining or eliminating evil if you want to have free will, if you don't want to violate free will. So my first argument is we can't, an all-powerful God cannot destroy evil in the world because sin and evil is inside of us. Right? We don't get to point at it. It's not exterior to the human race. It's not like Thanos. If you just beat Thanos, everyone will be unashed again, right? Or it's not this AI mainframe hidden 40, 40 stories under the earth, where if you just destroy that mainframe, all the robots die. The, the problem with evil is that it resides in us. All of us have contributed to the evil that we see around the world. All of us have contributed to harm 
to our families and friends and neighbors, that evil resides in us, and therefore ending evil means ending us. Well, then why can't God restrain all evil? So I think about, let's say I wanted to punch Neri, right? <laughs> Thanks, Neri. So I'm about to punch him, but God's like, I'm going to have your arm go limb. And he's restraining evil. Or when I'm throwing a punch, he's like, I'm going to make it a high five, you know? Boom. And then, but I'm like, okay, so God's restraining me. I can't cause physical violence. So I'll say verbal mean things, right? And I'll, most of our scars are from what people have said to us. So I'm going to say really bad things about Neri. Like, I don't like your shirt. I love your shirt. I designed it. And so that's what God does, right? He turns something bad I'm saying into good. He makes it the opposite. Or I'm going to say something evil, and then I say like what Ned Flanders says. It just becomes like gibberish. Is that a way? That's another way God can restrain evil. But what if I'm, I'm not able to punch him? I can only give high fives. I can only speak nonsensical words when I want to curse him. But I'm still thinking mean thoughts, right? I can't enact physical violence. I can't enact verbal violence, so I just look at him really mean. Um, restraining evil in our thought life would be just kind of giving us moral frontal lobotomies. It would be changing the essence of who we are. So every stage in which God is restraining evil from sheer power um, and, and, and overwhelming our ability to choose is a restraint on our free will. And the problem with restraining free will means that we're restraining love because love is built on free will. Free, free will is the foundation of our ability to love and be kind and generous, of our ability to do good, right? A robot can do good, but it's not good because it had no choice. So our ability to choose allows us to do all the good things. So in a very, I think, interesting way, power if you want to retain free will, is not very useful in restraining evil. It's not a great, it's not an, uh, a possible solution as long as you desire free will to reside. And so the solution comes in, I think, a, a very different way, a turn of events, a surprise, if you will, that God, instead of overpowering us, he gives us an invitation back to him. He sends his son in order to call us home. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Think about the posture of God as he looks at the world. We, th we can imagine or have been... Um, often told that God is deistic. He set the world spinning and then he left it alone. And he's fully distant and uncaring about us. Or even that God is spiteful and hateful. That God wants to judge humanity and punish us. But John 3.16, the Christian God, he presents is a God who loves. And he loves the entire world. It's the most inclusive love. That there's no one outside of humanity there's no one outside of human history that, is out, that exists beyond the reach of God's love. And that's an amazing feat. 
because I can think of all kinds of people that are outside of my ability to love. God's love includes and is able to hold all of humanity. And it's the most sacrificial love. He gave his one and only son. God gave himself to us. He came down as a baby. He experienced all many of the hardships we experienced and far beyond my own experience of hardship. Jesus lost his dad at an early age. He was an immigrant running into Egypt to survive a genocide. He was under oppression um, from the Romans. And then he died uh, one of the most horrific deaths possible in order to forgive us of our sins. And when you when you think about the greatest of loves, it wasn't an emotion. It wasn't a vow. It wasn't a gift. It was sacrificial. And it was God sacrificing his son, Jesus sacrificing himself. I can't fathom a greater love than that. And then it says, whoever believes in him. So this invitation of love is actually the most accessible invitation to all of humanity. Think about the concept of access. When we think about things that are the most inaccessible, we think about, let's say, summoning Mount Everest. Probably none of us can do that, right? It's extremely unaccessible. You have to, you know, a thousand skills in order to summit. Uh, going to Yale for, for law school, extremely difficult. Being president of the United States, Kind of anyone can do it, but also really hard, right? It's weird. It's weird. It seems like anyone can do it, but somehow it's also difficult. Um, there are things that are extremely unaccessible because they're outside of our control, because it takes a lifetime to develop that skill, because our bodies are not capable of it, because the power of bees, powers that be say no. And then we think about what is the most accessible uh, for all of humanity? What is more accessible than belief? What is more accessible than belief and trust? An act of will, a decision, no matter where you are, no matter what your circumstances, God gives us that access to come home. Jesus, I'm going to believe not in myself, not in positive thought, thinking, I'm going to put my trust in you and say, God, would you forgive my sins? I want to follow you. Actually, I can't think of a way to make it more accessible, right? And again, respect free will. So if you go beyond belief into something more accessible, you come to universalism. Everyone goes to heaven. Everyone gets to be with the Lord. But there's actually a huge disregard to a person's agency and desire and free will in that system. Heaven is defined by being intimate with the Lord. So if someone's like, I hate God, I've never wanted to be with him, and I despise him, you're actually violating their will in belief that, in the belief of universalism, where they have to be in heaven in, in the unbridled presence of God. That's how heaven is defined. So he, so we're one inch away from universalism in, in the spectrum of what is most accessible, believing in God. God loves the whole world that he gives the ultimate sacrifice and gives us 
the least barrier to be with him, to call us back. And then he gives us the greatest gift that we will not perish, we will not be separated from him or each other or ourselves, but we'll have eternal life. It's an amazing act that in all of God's power, he surrenders it in order to sacrifice to bring us home. I think about a, a close friend I have. Um, she had a few years, a few, many years of clubbing really hard, taking a bunch of drugs, and just being in that life. And she told me that when she would go home, her mom would ask her for a hug, but she would walk right through her. She didn't want her to smell the drugs on her. She didn't want to see her bloodshot eyes. She didn't want her to, to catch wind of the alcohol. When her mom asked her to sit next to her to share about her day, she would be cold and walk away. When her help, mom helped her clean out her room, she would explode in anger, afraid that she would find these drugs. But her mom, every day, still opened up a seat on the couch, extended her arms for a hug, cooked food for her, even if it meant that it would just go cold. And one day, um, my friend decided to become sober. A few different things happened. And she, she wanted to change her life. And she noticed, again, the open seat on the couch and sat down and would talk with hours, uh, four hours with her mom. She ate dinner with her. She gave her hugs and um, let her mom clean her roof. <laughs> that's, that's how God resolves evil. He doesn't overcome our will. He calls us home. You know, many people think that you have to be good to become Christian. But the gospel, the truth of the Christian faith is that you become Christian and then you become good. That it's this restoration of our relationship with the Lord. It's, it's the same yes to the invitation. It's the belief, that act of will of saying, yet yeah, I believe that you died for my sins. And I want to come under your story. I want you to be God again instead of myself. That we start to have him change us because of our relationship with him. Um, nice little picture of Jesus' resurrection. And then I think about the church and our role as we hold intention the coming of Jesus' first coming and his recreation. That, that this invitation wasn't given in this generic form. But in, in Acts chapter 17, verse 26 and 28, he talks about how God gives this invitation to each person of humanity, where he places us on earth, and the time in which we reside. The family, the ethnicity that we were born into was all there, constructed for us with precision and for every person so that we might know him and find him and be called toward him. From one man, he made all creation that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history, exactly when you were born, and the boundaries in of their land where you, you specifically would reside. 
God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. All of us had moments in our life where God revealed himself to us and welcomed us home. That's why we're sitting here. That's why we're in this room, because he found us. He placed us in the place that we would live in the time that we, we, we would reside so that we would reach out for him. And maybe that moment for you is this morning as well. This invitation for you personally to find him and to reach out for him, even though he's not far away. In college, I would drive down to San Diego, Camp Pendleton. It's an army base. And I remember getting checked in through double gates because I was doing prison ministry for the first time. I would do it for about a year. I walked in, there were these Marines lined against the wall, and um, I was leading worship for them, which is probably part of their punishment, you know? (laughs) They didn't know this, but I was there to also punish them. And then there was a few times where I got to, Ben was very impressed, because when I first started playing guitar, and he's he's like, he has perfect pitch. Uh, He said, you're amazing, because you could play in one key and sing in a totally different key, (laughs) all the way through, it was consistent. So anyways, I'm sitting in the circle with these men who had been incarcerated, and I remember leading worship for them, having a Bible study, and, and the way they sang to the Lord filled and echoed through um, the whole prison. The way they engaged in prayer and the word, you, I knew that God didn't let prison walls or the sin that they committed exclude them from the kingdom. Actually, it was for them that Jesus came and died. It was to them that Jesus did his most uh, focused ministry where he spent the most time. I loved being there. I loved going to soup kitchens with some of my friends here, uh, being able to do foster ministry because I know that even though the world simply takes pity or dismisses them or walks through them, that God wants to reach every person exactly where they are. He wants every person in their highest and lowest points to reach out and to find him. And when I think about holding the two intention, Jesus' first coming and the second, I can't think of a better way to spend that waiting period than to know that God wants to reach us and everyone around us. Lastly, we think about recreation. When we think about the Christian story, maybe it's more of a circle than a line. Maybe it's us, in some ways, going back to the beginning. As Jesus comes back, we think about how he restores all things. Um, I'll just read these first two. You tried to work out justice, but you weren't powerful enough. People still got, people continue to be selfish, hurtful, and hurt one another. That's why I made a promise that one day I come back and conquer evil and bring perfect justice and peace. There will be no more crime or bad thoughts or wars. You will see my image in every person's color, culture, and gender, and will love each other unconditionally, just like how I loved you. 
You will trust strangers as family and everyone will be invited to dinner. I will wipe every tear from your eyes and make broken communities whole again. There will be no borders and every nation will belong to my kingdom. I will reign over the world with everlasting peace. Jesus, this morning, we again think about your generous love and invitation. And this love that cost you your life, this love that, that um, inspired you to pay the debt of our sin and take away that separation so that we could be with you. I pray that we would again believe in you, Lord, whether it's our first time or our 10th or 30th anniversary of believing in you, we would again choose your forgiveness over our good works and you being God over us determining good and evil for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-hosts together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.